All right, Ephesians 1, 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word. Thanks, Beck, for that. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year from me as well. Uh, if I've met you, I'm Andrew, the Associate Pastor here at Christ Community. And um, because this is our first gathering, forward, backwards, because this is our first gathering uh, since we had our carols, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody who was involved in bringing that together. And thanks for everyone who came along to that. Uh, once again, God created a really special afternoon for us. I think you'd agree. Uh, wanted to say a special thanks to Katie Miller for leading the organising committee for that and for everyone who's involved in that committee. And also a special thanks to Erin Parker, as we've, we've just heard. She's not long until she leaves Australia, and yet she was really pumped to spend a fair bit of, of her remaining time in Australia committed to that carols and serving us in that way. To kick off the new year, we're beginning a new short series that we've titled Foundations for Our New Year. Uh, in this series, we're going to consider how the gospel satisfies three of our most essential and foundational human needs, and they are, they are hope and peace and purpose. Uh, now, there's two kind of thoughts and intentions behind starting the year in this way. Uh, firstly, if you were at the carols, you would have heard uh, Pete mention that in February, we're going to be running a new course called Hope Explored. It's one of the courses in our Explore series. Uh, this course really helpful and encouraging and hope and peace and purpose are actually the three topics that, that are addressed in that course. And so over the next three weeks, we're actually going to look at different passages of the Bible than, than those that are done in that course. But we are going to watch the first video from each week of the course uh, as a bit of an intro to the topic and the sermon. We want to help you get familiar with the content of that course and to start thinking about that topic yourself. Uh, to help you start noticing others around you who might be might be grappling with this issue as well or with this topic as well people you could invite to join you at hope explored the second reason we're starting this year that the way this year that way and perhaps even more importantly is that as christians we're not immune from looking to other things to try and satisfy these things are we and we're also not immune to despairing when they don't you may even be in that wrestle right now and so we want to begin the, the new year by hearing again how God has graciously provided hope and peace and purpose for us in Jesus. How the good news of Jesus really does satisfy them and give us a sure foundation for a new year 
uh, whatever the, that this year might bring. And all that it'll bring. We want to thank you that you know our needs and are a faithful provider. Uh, Lord, we want to pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you bless our time now? And would you use it to stir hope in our hearts for the year ahead and beyond? And we ask this for your sake, Jesus. Amen. What keeps you going? What's giving you hope? Is it something that's true and trustworthy as we were just challenged to consider? Is it something that's long-lasting or something that's likely to fade? Are you setting yourself up to have your hopes dashed in the months ahead by setting your hope on something that isn't sure? Are you already feeling a bit disappointed because you've had to change or delay something you're really looking forward to? Uh, because you've already messed up day two of a New Year's resolution you were hoping in. How real does hope feel to you right now? For many of us, when we think about the word hope, uh, what comes to mind is something we want to happen that we feel a bit optimistic about, but we aren't totally confident about because it involves things that are outside our control. And so every day in, converse, in conversations, we say things like, I hope it's going to be a better year this year. Or I hope I'll get a raise or a promotion this year. Or I'll get good marks at school or uni. I hope we'll be able to buy a house this year. I hope my new teacher is going to be nice or I'll get to sit next to my, my friends in class. My kids, I bet you are starting already to get excited about school for the year, just a few weeks away. One of the things I hope for 2022 is I'm going to be able to wear the new Broncos jersey I bought a couple of years ago. I haven't been able to wear that in public yet. Uh, I think we'd all say we hope COVID will be under control soon, of course. Well, because the word hope is so commonly used in this way, when we hear that the Christian faith offers hope, or we read the word hope in our Bibles, we can think that all it might offer is a vague optimism too. We might even be drawn into thinking that is all it could offer. But like we just heard in that video, that is not what is meant by hope in the Bible. So I want to pop back up the definition of Christian hope we just heard a minute ago. It's a really important and helpful one. Christian hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past which changes everything about my present. Now there's a bit in that and that's actually going to be our outline for this morning. We're going to consider each of those three elements and I trust as we do the Lord has something to stir each of our hearts with. So let's get going. A joyful expectation for the future. As we heard our passage is Ephesians 1 from 15 to 23. So I'm going to read the first few verses again. Paul writes, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? I'm going to pause there for a moment. Uh, these words that I've just read, they're one of the prayers of Paul for the church in Ephesus. Uh, twice in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul kind of lets us eavesdrop in on, uh, on his prayers for them. Now notice what seems to be missing from his prayers here. Uh, notice that he's not praying for a change in their circumstances or that the daily pressures and difficulties they were facing would ease. 
And it's not that there weren't any. If you read the book of Acts, read through the letter to the Ephesians. You pick up there were difficulties and, and, uh, and pressures upon them. Uh, quite possibly Paul did pray for these, but that's not his deepest burden because he knows that is not their deepest need. So what's Paul praying? Well, he tells us he's praying that God would open their eyes to see what is already theirs in Christ. He's desperate for them to behold with more and more clarity the power of God for them in Christ, the glorious inheritance they are part of in Christ. And the first on the list is hope, the hope that is theirs in Christ, the hope that God has called them to, as he says there in verse 18. I'm I'm drawing emphasis to that because I think commonly as Christians we can think, God, we need you to open their eyes. Speaking of those who don't yet know the Lord. And alongside that, sometimes we can think, uh, hope, yeah, yeah, I I know about heaven, eternal life. I get that. But what I really need is is something for my situation right now. Without denying that we do face pressing needs in the now, Here Paul reminds us our deepest need isn't for something we don't yet have. It's to behold what we already do. And clearly Paul doesn't have in mind a wishy-washy optimism. He has something concrete and definite in mind. It's the hope to which they've been called. The hope to which we've been called in Christ. As I was chewing on these words this week, I was particularly struck by that phrase, uh, having the, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You know, I think we get this is not talking about actual heart with its actual eyes. Uh, in the Bible, the heart is the place from which we think and speak and act and desire. And so he, he wants us to, to see more clearly in that place. As I was sitting chewing on these, these things, it got me thinking about eyes and light. And I don't know if this is just me and Mitch, uh, if it's true for others, but we've been blessed with this consistent ability to sneeze when we get too much light in our eyes. Uh, So if we walk outside on a bright day, there's a good chance we're going to sneeze, often right at exactly the same time, or usually sometimes straight after each other. If we then jumped in our car and drove to the shops and hopped out of our car, we'd probably sneeze again if it's really bright. Go into the shops, grab our stuff, come back out, we're probably going to sneeze again, actually, if it's a really bright day. Our sunglasses can help us a little bit, but if it's bright, they, they, they might not even be enough. And that might sound a bit amusing to you. Uh, after 20 years, it's still very amusing to my wife. Uh, but there's a good chance we aren't alone in that. Uh, apparently up to 30% of people experience this phenomenon. So maybe there's a few other sneezers in the midst here. Whether that's a reality for you or not, something I think we all do when we encounter a strong light is to squint. If we're in a dark room, someone turns on a bright light, we squint a bit. Now, if the sun comes out from behind a cloud, we squint. Uh, We often do this instinctively to protect our eyes, and we particularly do this if we're trying to focus on something or concentrate on something and it gets really bright. You may have never thought about this, but the, the reason squinting helps, it lets less light in, allows us to focus on what we're looking at. Uh, Now, I'm not so much interested in a science lesson, definitely not qualified for that. In fact, I might have even explained some of that wrong. Sorry if I did. But the the reason I share these thoughts is I wonder if we can be guilty of spiritually squinting as a result of what we are focusing on, of focusing too much on circumstances and situations and little hopes and restricting our intake of real light, real hope, even filtering out real light, real hope as a consequence. 
I think that's something I've been guilty of in the last year. Uh, I share this with a few people. Over the last year, I've noticed my heart seems to work at times a bit like my camera, my iPhone camera app. Uh, on my iPhone, for the most part, Mike, if I open up the app, it seems to think I automatically want to focus on whatever's the, the kind of the closest object in view. That's where the little yellow focus square immediately runs to. If I want to focus on something else, I need to kind of click elsewhere or refocus it. And I've noticed my heart can have a bit of a kind of foreground object bias as well on the immediate situations I'm facing. Now, sometimes I've seen that and refocused, but sometimes in this last year, the circumstances I've faced or, or become aware of, I haven't refocused as quickly as I should have. Perhaps I've even zoomed in instead. And my life has reflected a diminished hope and joy at times as a result. I see need for God to continue to enlighten my heart, to help me see and focus on all he's given me, all that I am in him. What if you can relate to that? Are you guilty of spiritually squinting because of what you've been focused on in the last year? Well, because I need to be refocused on the hope that I've been called to, and I suspect I'm not alone in this, I want to wrap up this first point by reminding us of the hope that is ours in Christ. Now, there's so much we could say on this, but I'm going to keep it simple by just running through some of the things that Paul lists in, in the first chapter of Ephesians, just before this prayer. Uh, kids, one of your handouts is a bookmark. Uh, that lists some of these things on it. So you might like to run through it, uh, colour those in as we go. So what is this hope, this joyful expectation we've been called to? Well, if you've trusted in Christ, if you are in Christ, then according to the Bible, you have been, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing there is in the heavenly realms. See that in verse 3. There's no more spiritual blessings God withholding and could give you that he's already given you. Uh, if you're in Christ, you have been chosen that you would be counted holy and blameless before none other than God himself. See that in verse 4. If you're in Christ, in a trusting relationship with Jesus, you have been adopted as God's child. Elsewhere, we're assured of his care and compassion and concern for his immeasurable love for his kids. In verse 7, Paul celebrates the fact, if you are in Christ, you have been redeemed from the power and penalty of your sin by the blood of Jesus. You've been forgiven all your trespasses. In verse 11, we're told that those in Christ have obtained an inheritance. And elsewhere, we're told that that inheritance includes an imperishable body, participation in God's renewed world forever, that it includes unimaginably wonderful things like enjoyment of God's presence forever and his perfections forever, life forever in a world of no tears and no fears. And in verse 13 and 14, we're told that when we heard the gospel and believed it, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is a hope, right? That is the hope to which we've been called in Christ. That is the hope Paul wants them to see more clearly. That is the hope God wants us to see all the more clearly. So if you're a follower of Christ, how will you keep that, that hope in focus this year? and avoid spiritually squinting in 2022. If, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, can I urge you, receive this gift that God holds before you. It's for all who would trust in and follow Jesus. That brings us to point two. It's, it's all very well to hope in something, 
But how can we know this joyful expectation of the future is sure and not just wishful thinking? Well, as our definition tells us, because the Christian hope is based on true events in the past. And that's what Paul highlights in his prayer next as well. Let me continue reading. In fact, I'll pick up from verse 18. It's a long sentence. I'll kind of give us a run in. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believed, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that's named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, there's so much in those verses, can't unpack it all. But I just want to come back to the question I raised. How can we know we aren't just being hopeful, even gullible and foolish, to believe in this hope we have? How can we be sure it's true and trustworthy? Well, here Paul tells us. God's life-restoring and eternal power have been displayed in history, in the event of Christ's resurrection from the dead and in his ascension to his throne in heaven. They are the proof we look to. They are the assurance. They offer the assurance we need. Uh, now I mentioned Hope Explored at the start. Uh, it's going to run on Sunday nights through February. And I highlight that here because the, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, one of those things we're going to talk about in that course as well. Uh, how can we be sure Jesus rose from the grave, that he is enthroned in heaven? If that's something you're struggling to believe, just I want to encourage you, please come along to that course. Uh, many of us have struggled to believe that in the past too. It took evidence and time and meeting Jesus in his word to assure our hearts that's true. So pl please come along and bring your doubts and questions as well. For those of us who do believe this, I do wonder if we can allow the awesome reality of the resurrection and the ascension to kind of become dull in our heart over time. That we can become so familiar and comfortable with it that we no longer feel the confrontation or awe of this truth and claim. That we no longer find ourselves wondering upon the immeasurable greatness of such a power that could raise someone from the dead. Or that that same power is at work in and for us today, as we're told in God's word that it is. Alongside that, there are perhaps some of us who found ourselves starting to, to wonder or even doubt, is Christ reigning in the world today? I mean, there's any number of things that can challenge that truth. Things we've seen or experienced uh, in the world. Things we've seen or experienced in ourselves. And the enemy wants to make sure we don't miss focusing on these things. It's one of the key ways he seeks to steal our hope and joy and confidence in Christ. Uh, that's why it's so important to take our expectations of what life should look like today, not from the world's definition of Christ, what Christ's reign should look like, but what his word tells us. Make no mistake, the world loves to draw out apparent contradictions to Christ's rule. But his world tells us not to be surprised by what we see and experience today. Jesus predicted that the Christian life would be hard at times and the progress would feel slow. He predicted it would require endurance and forgiveness and confession and love that would be costly. He predicted that it would require unity with those who loved him 
but who saw some other things quite differently to us. He predicted that it would involve grief and doubt and trust when we didn't have all the answers and when the wait felt really long. As we spend time in God's word, we see that these things don't contradict his rule. They confirm it. He predicted them, but he didn't just predict them. He also promised his grace and his power is sufficient for them. Now, that doesn't make it easy, of course, but it does give us assurance and hope amidst them. And so too does the knowledge that one day those painful things will end and perfect glory awaits. Because he did die for us. He did rise from the grave. He is ruling today and his throne is not only sure now, but also in the age to come. The Christian hope is a joyful expectation of the future based on true events in the past. That brings us to the third and final point, which changes everything about my present. Now, I've shared this story before, but I love how the hope of glory shines through it, so I've decided to, to share it again. Fanny Crosby lived from 1820 to 1915, uh, 95 years, and all of it blind. Uh, this was the consequence of some wrong medicine she was given when she was just a six-weeks-old baby. Now, despite the obvious difficulty her blindness brought her and other tragedies that subsequently befell her life, uh, Fanny Crosby was a prolific hymn writer. She wrote over 8,000 hymns in praise of Jesus, many of which are still sung in churches around the world today. Now, when she was in her 50s, a friend composed a piece of music and brought it to her and played it for her. Her friend then said to Fanny, what, what does it say? It didn't have any lyrics at this point. Well, at this, Fanny knelt and listened as her friend played it again. And before long, the words came together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Shortly, she handed the completed lyrics to her friend, lyrics that many of us know well. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my saviour all the day long. Apparently she was once told it was too bad that God didn't give her the gift of sight. Her response is quite amazing. You may have heard it before. She's quoted as saying, If I had been given a choice at birth, I would have asked to be blind. For when I get to heaven, the first face I will see will be the face of the one who died for me. That is a hope, right? That is a life that is different because of the hope it has. Now, it could be possible for us to hear that and think, that is so far from where I am today. I could never be like that, never see things so joyfully or reflect Christ so beautifully in my life. And to that, I want to say two things. Uh, firstly, yep, you can't. But God can. And notice that's just what Paul is praying and why he's praying too. The key to the hope we live in for life and eternity is not our power or our adequacy. It is God's. It's his grace to us in Christ and his immeasurably great power that is at work in us. Power that is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, as Paul prays in Ephesians 3. 
And the second thing I want to say is that Fanny's story may be special, but it's not unique. And the hope of glory and God's power are working change and life and beauty around us today in similarly amazing ways. Now I want to finish up by sharing some examples of how I've noticed that gospel hope has shone through and changed things in lives around me in the last year. And I reckon if you took a few moments, you could think of many more examples. So in the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen parents who are exhausted and absolutely overwhelmed continue to love their kids and others with gospel patience and kindness. Have they got it wrong sometimes? Yes. Have they got it right sometimes? Yes. In the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen families and households and husbands and wives work through some really hard things and pull together when they would have otherwise pulled apart. Has it always looked beautiful? No. Has it sometimes shone with incredible beauty? Yes. In the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen people give generously when they could have saved more or spent more. And I've seen people give generously of themselves when they felt they almost had nothing left to give. In the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen students who, having shouldered study pressure all year and finally having some time to rest and relax, choose instead to serve a bit more and to spend time growing in their walk with Jesus and learning how to make him known. In the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen workers do likewise. I've seen people turn down the offer of promotion because they wanted to have time for that. And I've seen people take on bigger things for just the same reason. In the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen people humbly seek forgiveness and courageously offer forgiveness for some really big things. And I've seen people press into God and wait upon him when the apology or the forgiveness of the resolution they were waiting for wasn't forthcoming at the speed they hoped. In the last year, because of the hope of the gospel, I've seen people experience some major disappointments and difficulties and yet turn up to worship God amidst them to persevere in faith amidst their distress, to reach out in care for others despite their distress, to experience joy amidst their, their distress, trusting that God is with them, that he is for them, that he is good. How have you seen the hope of the gospel changing and empowering lives around you? I began today by asking, what is keeping you going? What is giving you hope? Is it something that's true and trustworthy as we're challenged to consider? Is it something that's long-lasting or something that's likely to fade? The Christian hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past that changes everything about our present. As we begin a new year, would our eyes be increasingly focused on the hope that is ours in Christ? We also have eyes to see others who need that hope. Let me pray. Father God, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might increasingly know what is the hope to which you've called us? What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe? Forgive us for setting our hopes on things other than you, for looking to them for life and joy and satisfaction rather than looking to you and trusting you with our all. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood has secured our forgiveness, our redemption, our eternity, and our hope.
May all our hope be in you, for you alone are true and trustworthy.